Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors, and a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, but what are you drinking is the question. You got you got a can that's got like some pink, some pinkness yeah. going on there. That sounds pretty fun. So I'm showing this to you right now. It oh, is that. Boulevard Brewing Company Sticky Bun Alert Cinnamon Bun Ale. It is Ooh. a 9.5%. And I'm looking forward to this. Uh, How big is that can? It is a 16-ouncer. Oh Scott. Yeah. We're going to we're going to rival our 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 combined power rating here, I think. Yeah. Well, Daniela, my girlfriend, she saw it uh at Trader Joe's. She was at Trader Joe's. She picked up three beers for me and she was just like, "Hey, I didn't I haven't seen you drink these, so I got these for you." And I was I was like, "Hell yeah. That's a keeper." Why? I know where exactly. Yes, that's a keeper. The the beer and the lady. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Uh, why the fuck wasn't that there when I was there? What's I that? know, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I have a very simple statistic because I love stats. Ed, who calls me numbers, <laughs> I have a, I, I have an alcohol power rating, and it's basically the uh, the alcohol percent times the number of ounces. And so you, my friend, uh, have a pretty high uh, alcohol power rating because you got 16 ounces at 9%. Oh, yeah. And it is very sweet. It's like, mm. it, this is one of those beers where if I had only half of it, if I had a four-ounce taster, I think I would be good. And so we'll see where I am at the end of the can, at the bottom. So maybe the the BDs, the diabetes will kick in by then, but we'll <laughs> see. Um, it's It's tasteful. It's very, there's a lot of flavors there rock on so for me i have a uh, a high alcohol power rating as well this is a i can't believe look at this bottle it's hard to believe that's only 16.9 ounces isn't it yeah this is only a pint it's only a pint it it is uh, by belching beaver it is a it is called sling your hook sling your hook it is a barrel aged imperial stout an ale brewed with sea salt and caramel which is basically like my favorite thing. Like I love sea salt and I love caramel. And you're gonna get my dope ass T-shirt in here because uh, when I when we dialed in here, Scott mentioned here. Do it again, actually, so I can make a good smile instead of making a stupid face. Yeah. So I'm wearing this this toxic yellow Kill Bill shirt, and it's by this company called Rucking Fotten. Um, I think they're on Instagram, and what they do is they started by doing like horror movie posters on T-shirts. But in like Japanese, that was their big thing that they do it in like uh, uh, foreign language characters, specifically Kanji. Asia, because we all yeah, we all know how cool that shit looks. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, this shirt is it's dope as hell. It's got this enormous print Kill Bill in the house. It's all yellow and it's just got all kinds of cool uh, writing all over it. I like the uh, Bruce Lee, the Game of Death uh, stripes down the sides as well of the sleeves. Yes. Yes. And it's actually I think it's it's uh, it's Hanzo Steel. Oh, shit. Oh, very cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it's got the blood on it and everything. So again, they they really and then you've got like cool writing on this side. So again, if they they've really branched out into things other than horror because uh, people love their stuff so much. So yeah, man, check them out. Rucking Fotten, I think they're on Instagram, and they they what they do is they do kind of limited release shirts. They'll have something be available for pre order for a month, and then once that's done, uh, it's gone forever. So anyway, this beer is amazing, and this is going to be a great episode, Scott, because we 
have a combined high alcohol power rating, and we're going to be do a lot of doing a lot of thinking off the dome. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, well, let's get going here. So, what was the first thing you did this week? I believe I knocked out another page of Wanderers. So that seems to be the running theme, um, and it's going to be that way for at least a month and a half. So, um, oh, something to put on top of that, which makes this a little more interesting, is so uh, accidental alien member death, uh, who's mentioned quite often on this podcast. Uh, I was asking him how it's going with his TMNT fan fiction that he's drawing for someone. And um, he said he has about 11 pages left. So I am right around there as well. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to race you. So that's, that's one of my things. One of my things I love to do is try to motivate my friends as well as myself. So if he has 11 pages left, and I actually had at that time 11, you know, 11.75% of a page left, um, it's like, okay, well, I'm a little bit behind you. I also need to do the cover. So that brings that up to 13, basically. Um, So you're in the lead. So, you know, let's get to work. And, you know, his response is, yeah, I'm going to try. He goes, but I'm pretty sure you're faster than me. And that's the whole point of the race, isn't it? It's like, hey, look, you're ahead. You know, try to keep keep the lead. And I want this to motivate you to finish the book. You know, that's something right. that if you want to make comics, you got to make the comic. So um, I'm hoping to motivate him and he listens. So death, you know, the game is on. So yeah. so get it going. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, the game's probably been on for a while because we record this in advance. So hopefully yes. uh, you, you, you've continued to crank out pages yes i hope uh, so you're you're closer and closer to the end right right exactly and so i actually went and i counted the panels and then so i estimated my completion date if i did one panel a day i would finish by may 18th i believe that was the date so by may 18th this book will be done and i'm hoping i get done sooner than that because i want to do more than one panel a day and uh, but that's just where it's landing at this point uh, just with everything that's going on, all the other projects, commissions. Um, I got convention convention season is upon us. So I actually have to do some new prints this year. Um, I like to keep new prints rolling in. Not a lot. You know, it's not my whole focus, but it is part of the process of me working conventions. It's like you got to make the booth back. You have to have that income coming in to justify doing the conventions, make it worth your time, the effort, etc. So um, I usually do about... I would say only about five or six new prints a year for like the whole year. It's not really a lot. So I have the uh, Shang-Chi one that I did at the end of last year. So that counts as one of them. But I actually, I got some ticket stubs to Batman. So I'm going to do my Batman ticket stub print. And I think I want to do a Moon Knight, you know, just for the heck of it. I want to do Moon Knight. And um, there was one more I want to do. Uh, maybe a TMNT. Oh, definitely a Joker piece. So I actually have a po- uh, Joker piece that's already drawn. But I am going to blue uh, blue line it, print it out, and uh, you know ink it traditionally, so I actually have an original piece, so that I could sell that at shows as well. So hopefully those do well, and um, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I got going on right now. It looks like I just kind of dovetailed into two things at once there. Um, but yeah, so Wanderers is on the block, and uh, I'm challenging death. Awesome, you're you're challenging. Death. I'm challenging death. What am I fucking okay. Thanos? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So for me, my first thing, I'm going to have a thread this week. And the thread is that I just came back from Houston, Texas. Um, to know me, 
is to know that the Scott, what, what city do I claim? So you were born in Philly. Yep. Born in Philly, grades one through 12 in Houston, Texas, and then moved, went to college and then moved back to the East Coast for another like 16 years or so. So to know me is to know that I claim Philly pretty hard. Uh, what I don't claim is Houston. And uh, so I went back for the first time in 13 years. In fact, it's only the second time I've been back really since a little after college. So since 1995, I've been back to Houston twice. And this was the second time. I went to hang out with a buddy. I actually stayed with him, a guy named uh, Mark. Early high school friend, uh, hanging out again, which is really cool. I just did a quick getaway to go to Houston. I visited some comic shops. I visited some of my old places. I, I went to the house that I spent, you know, I don't know, nine years of my life in. It's amazing how it's always smaller, isn't it? Like, I was the same height that I am now, late in high school, and I lived in that house. And yet it's amazing how when you go back to the place where you grew up, how everything just seems smaller. Like, I have not grown. I am the exact same height, but there's just something (laughs) about the way it blows up in your mind or it just feels like this. You know, the way we think movie stars subconsciously are like 40 feet tall. They're not. You know, what do you always what do people always say when they meet movie stars unless they're really tall? It's like, wow, you're shorter in person. Right. You know, unless unless it's like a Vince Vaughn type where, you know, he's like six, four in person anyway. Uh, so it was it was very nice to go back. And one of the places I went in Houston um, while I was tooling around between comic shops and places like that is there's this great restaurant that I cannot believe is still around. It's been there for the last 33 years and was there before that. It's a place called Beck's Prime, and it's actually turned into a chain has the two oldest oak trees, I believe, either in Texas or in Houston. They are these absolutely massive, sprawling oaks that they built decks under. So like you get your food, like Beck's Prime is kind of on the level of like a farmer boys, like sort of fast food, you know, but but good burgers and stuff like that. They had a ton of beers there and I didn't intend to have a beer because it was early afternoon, but I was like, fuck it, I'm having a beer. It's like a perfect day. It was a perfect day when I went back. Um, So the, the big headline was I really need to claim Houston more. You know, that was my whole thing of like Houston was throwing me at a little reminder like, hey, don't forget me. You know, you spent 12 pretty formative years of your life here, buddy. Why don't I ever hear my name, you know, uh, uh, coming from the podcast? So it was nice to go back and get a little reacquainted with Houston. So while I'm under the tree at Beck's Prime, just sitting there having a beer, I have this moment of clarity. And the moment of clarity is the missing scene of Kadoja Symphony of Madness issue two. And I immediately, I, I have the scene come in my head. I'm like, this is the scene. Now, as a refresher, this is the scene where Mike put some notes in there and he was like, eh, it's all talking heads and talking heads are fine. You know, it's just that the the clock is ticking. And his note was, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't hate it the way it is, but if there's a way to do something better, let's think through it. And then he gets to the end of the scene and he gives the note. Tell you what, what do you want out of this scene? Like what I want to know is the big thing you want out of this scene. And maybe there's a different way for us to go about it, for you to go about it. So I've been, turning that over in my head for a while as as writers do you know we walk through life and we think of stuff we get on the plane and we think of stuff you know you just think of stuff whenever and damn it if it didn't come through there so I figured out a really nice scene texted it right then and there to Mike I was like here's the idea for the scene how about this this and this here's really the thing I want to convey and uh and he was like that's perfect I then uh over the course of the weekend turned it from a couple texts into a quick uh you know, sketch of a scene into the 
panel layout of the scene into a very crude version of the scene because I didn't have a computer in front of me. So I scribbled the whole thing in my journal. And uh, now all I have to do is just get in front of a computer and not really think much and turn that into a nice screenplay format. And that issue is done. So I'll be doing that in the next day or two. But the hard work is done. The writing is done. And I got myself the scene to round out the second issue of Kadoja. That's great, man. Yeah, those when inspiration strikes, you got to capitalize where you can, when you can. And uh, I'm glad that happened, you know, like and and wherever you are, you know, it's just like you're not even in your normal environment. And boom, there it is. Exactly. And and I think that the thing that's significant about it to me is it was this moment of absolute like perfection. People who, who are in Houston or in the South know, you know, it's usually 94 and humid. Like every day, April through November, it's 94 degrees and humid. It's just a different kind of hot. When I was there, the one day that was like my big day to go around, it was like 75 and crisp and perfect and breezy. Like it was perfect. It was just perfect. And so I'm under the tree and like the wind is just blowing through the tree. And I I looked up just at the branches of the tree and they had these cool suspended lights that are kind of like swinging around gently in the breeze. And I was just like, man, this is like a perfect moment, you know? And then boom, out of that perfect moment came, wait a minute, an I have an idea for this. <laughs> yeah, Isaac Newton was in a tree chucking apples at my face. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was great. It was like from that moment of just like kind of kind of nice oneness with the universe comes the thing. I had to like relax all the way for it to come to me. So pretty, a nice moment and a, and a nice result of that moment as well. Nice, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So what was your second thing? Oh, man. Do I have a second thing? <laughs> yeah, you, maybe you folded it into the first. I don't know. Yeah, it was honestly, it was just all encompassed in that first thing, working on Wanderers. Uh, pretty much any moment I have, um, but there was tons. Like this weekend was swamped, so um, I wasn't as productive as I wanted to be this weekend. But uh, things still got done. And what's nice is when I've been working lately, so that that vacation fog that I had is gone now. Like it's completely gone. When I start working, I'm just working. Um, I have very loose sketches of character layout like where they are in the panel on the page and i can just look at that rough sketch and just start filling in all the details and this is something i've talked about recently it's just this other level of drawing you can get to uh when you've been doing it a while or where there's an understanding there like after a while everything just kind of works um uh, at least for me when it comes to like figure drawing it's like i understand where how their gear works i understand you know, how the muscles will turn at this particular angle. And uh, it's just been flowing. And like to the point where I just feel so confident and I'll just, you know, say to my girlfriend, I'll be like, it's flowing, babe. It's flowing. It's so easy. It's so easy right now. And I just feel so cocky about it. And um, it's great. It's a great feeling because you're not full of the self-doubt that a lot of artists usually get. And and what I would usually get when I would be drawing, you know, it's like sometimes it would just be a struggle. It'd be like, I don't even know what this muscle would look like, look like at this angle. And lately, it just seems to have been unlocked for me where I I've been studying enough. I've been drawing enough to where my brain remembers, oh yeah, the muscle looks like this at this angle. You know, the Mm -hmm. foreshortening would look like this, um, you know, at this particular um, shot, you know. So it's it's definitely flowing and it's making my life 
a hell of a lot easier because there has been days where have been days where I'm behind the eight ball. Um, I didn't get much done that like today, for instance, I haven't picked up the iPad to draw yet today. Um, I will after the pod, we're recording relatively early for us. So, you know, when we get off the air, then I'll get to work, but I've had tons of stuff to do. And uh, one of the things that was distracting me today is something we'll get to when we get to the main topic. But um, yeah, man, it's just been flowing. And that's my biggest takeaway from this week beyond finishing another page or two. Uh, it's just like, okay, when, when I'm going, I'm going. And I think I'll be able to surpass that deadline that I have for myself. Uh, but it's just a nice marker to aim at. And uh, once I'm around it, I know I know I'll be able to pull away. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I have two thoughts related to that. The first one is uh, I can relate to that when it's just flowing. Although for me, the it's just flowing tends to be in a moment as opposed to on a larger scale. And something that I, I sometimes do is if I'm like writing in the studio here and I'll throw records on. And there are times when the flow on the writing is just there and I don't even want to get up from my computer. I th- Like the record player is right here, Scott. I can touch it when like you may maybe even be able to see the edge of it in your camera. Mm-hmm. But if I'm sitting here and I'm writing and I'm in a groove, I'm not turning around. I'm in the groove and I know that today for whatever reason is one of those days where like the words just come out better, the bigger words come out cool, the good phrases flow out easier and I am not I am not taking time to to change that record and sometimes what I'll do is even I just I have to hear music so I'll quick pick up the needle and go back to the beginning of the side again sometimes I'll listen to the same side five times in a row just because like it's still going it's still going I don't want to let it go so I can I can definitely relate to that on a more granular level on those days where where the writing you're just you're just feeling um the second thing I wanted to ask you about yours your your uh, your muscle thing is when you say the muscle the 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 anatomy kind of appears in your mind like how much of it is fine tuning you know how how much of making stuff look cool is that 5% of high level accuracy does that make sense like does it does drawing anatomy well well and drawing dynamic figure poses and all that stuff does it work on a flatline continuum where if you get it 80% right it looks 80% good or is it on more of like your typical kind of increasing slope thing where it really slopes up at the end where that last 5% of accuracy is the difference between like a mediocre drawing and a really good drawing. Definitely the latter uh, for me personally. So I don't have a style to where, I mean, I have a realistic looking style to a degree. It's stylized, but all the forms are there. The muscle structure is, is more or less correct, you know? Um, So for me, it has to be at least 80% there, and then your style can take you home. Um, there's artists where their style is friggin', I don't know, 70% of it is stylized, but there's like a little bit there uh, where you're like, yeah, that's yeah, that's where it's roughly supposed to go, and they can mm-hmm. get away with it just based off of their style. And there's other mm-hmm. artists that are too realistic to the point where if something's off, everyone's like, Hey, what's up with that? Like, like yeah. a Alex Ross, for instance, when mm-hmm. he paints something, when he draws something and it has to be damn near impeccable because yeah. 
his stuff is so tight and accurate to the human form that if it's off, everyone will notice. So I think sure. my style is somewhere in between where the muscle structure structure has to be correct, but there is a, a anime manga influence to the Western style that I primarily have. So there's some play there where, you know, things could be adjusted um, for style. So I, I would... I would say that's accurate to me. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it does in a way because for somebody like Alex Ross, that last 5% can mean everything. For somebody like you, that last 5% means 5%. And for people that have less of a, or maybe that last 5% means only 15%, where to Alex Ross, it means 40% or whatever. Um, but that's also because he set his own high bar. And yeah. then for people with less of a focus on anatomy, it, it might be more linear. So, yeah, that makes sense. I It basically varies by artist, but the overall thing that the better you get anatomy, those last couple percentage points can make all, all the difference sometimes. There's a great example. Um, that's He's a very well-known artist is Sam Keith. Sam Keith has the ability to stylize everything and his muscle structure isn't always correct because it's so stylized, but he'll be like, you know, he'll detail, he picks interesting parts of the body to detail at times. So like, if you look at the max, the character, the max specifically, he's kind of this short hulking thing where he's kind of a shape. He's more of a shape than anything, but then he'll detail the shit out of the tricep muscle. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's the tricep muscle. Like in, but the rest of it, it's just a shape. It's not, you don't see mm -hmm. the bicep, you don't see the shoulder or no, actually he'll detail shoulders and triceps. Those are the two big parts that I've noticed he details the most, those in the neck muscles. And, but there's a lot of things there where it's just a shape. It's just a yeah. circle. It's just a triangle or, or, you know, something along those lines, but it just works. You just understand it. You look at it and you're like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's something I really enjoy about those types of styles. Uh, Sam Keith specifically is is amazing. You know, it's funny because I liked him in the '90s, where the image style was all I gave a shit about. It's like the more lines, the better. Mm -hmm. And Sam Keith was he wasn't exactly that. He was his complete own thing. But even then, I knew I was like, no, this guy's really good. Like I'm yeah. I'm not exactly it's not exactly my thing, but it kind of is because I still mm -hmm. like it. And um, just getting older and looking at that work now, I appreciate it even so much more. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a Sam Keith fan. Number one, in volume one of Kadoja, when Rory purposely dialed into that raw style, I would equate it to Sam Keith at tables a lot. I was be, It just has a very Sam Keith feel. The other thing is that Sam Keith drew a whole lot of early Sandman. So he has a warm spot in my heart for that as well. So, okay. Very Which he critical. hates, by the way. He hates he it. Hates he hates his Sandman stuff. He hates it. He hated being on the project. He wanted to get out. Um, there's a whole video. There's this this guy I watch on YouTube. I'll send you links to it. It's fascinating. It's like I don't want to hear him bad mouth the Sandman man. That's no, because it's his own neuroses. It's how he feels. He's oh, like, I'm not right for this. I'm not a good enough artist. It's yeah. it's the self loathing aspect of artists. That's um, my man right there. Then yeah. yeah, I mean, not only it's... does he have a tasteful name, he. <laughs> he has the self-loathing and the Victor Vaughn thing going on. So it's yeah. wonderful. The, and the series is great. I think it's like four parts and it's just this huge deconstruction of Sam Keith and, and the Max. It's amazing. I'll, I'll send you yeah. links to it. Uh, I mean, I can relate to that because actually I was going through my novel a little bit today 
even though I'm not going to talk about it as a main thing or anything, but it's still happening. And I just had this realization of like, you know what? I think this book can be done. Had, you know, it can be agented. It can be agented. It can get sold. It can get published. And I can pick up the fucking thing in a bookstore in the future. And I'm still going to think that line could have been better. Right. <laughs> like, I just guarantee that is the kind of person I am. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully all those things happen. Because that would be a, a fun uh, uh, parallel time path to follow. Right on. Anyway. What was your second uh, thing? Second thing for me. So I'm going to dial, go back a little bit in time because before Bex Prime happened and before I landed in Houston, I had to get on a plane to Houston. And on the way there, I flew United. I cashed in some frequent flyer miles and it was on one of those new goddamn planes. And I wanted to do my editing for the day. Uh, I hadn't done it yet. So I just want to mention that if you're tall like I am, so listeners out there, I'm six foot three. These new fucking planes. <laughs> are so horrible, are so horrible. Like for me to type, for me to bring the folding seat tray down in front of me and type, number one, I've got to almost like T-Rex arms it. And number two, I have to look like straight down. And that is exactly the area of shoulders and neck that I have a problem with. I cannot do that. So do you know how I edited my man? I took the computer and I held it up to eye level <laughs> and and I would read it on the screen here, and then I would type it with the one hand while I was propping up the base of it with the other. And I went through my 750 words of editing that way. Oh, man. It was, that sounds like a nightmare. It was it was horrible. I mean, I wanted to do it, and I had to do it, and I tolerated it. But it's just like, is this really what it's come to? That, that if you're over 5'11", these seats are a nightmare? Like, I'm not talking uncomfortable. I'm talking a nightmare, you know? And it's... Boy, my, you know, kids love it, but like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's gotten a little too far gone on these damn airlines trying to fit those extra rows of seats in a plane. And as a result, you can't even be remotely comfortable. You know, on the way back, I flew Southwest and at least I was comfortable. That's, that's fine. Like it's, it was an older plane, but who cares? It got me there and, and I wasn't uncomfortable, you know? So in response to that, once I did that, I did some more work on the plane and um, I, I paid for Wi-Fi on the flight, and I ended up writing an entire article on my phone, which was I just I just wanted to mention that because I'm really proud of the accomplishment. In fact, that article is on iHorror right now. It's about uh, upcoming horror comic books for the month of April. Now, granted, when this airs, we're basically through April, but uh, you can still check it out and cross-reference some things that either you should have uh, bought or you did not buy. Um, Because there's some really cool stuff coming out in April, and I plan on doing that as a monthly feature for iHorror. I think I hinted at that an episode or two ago. But it was really fun to write an entire article on my phone and drop the graphics in and write everything and all that just with a handheld phone. Because you know what? That was the only way I could write on that goddamn plane. It was crazy. It was crazy. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishment, but hopefully I'll never have to do that again. Yeah, that sounds brutal, man. Uh, we were yeah. when we were flying in and out of Mexico, we got we we're like the second or third row to the front, and I noticed the very first row has the most leg room. Have you ever thought about paying yes. paying the extra for the leg room? I didn't feel like paying fifty nine dollars for the privilege. Oh, I see. Yeah, but on the I, I will tell you on the flight back on Southwest, I got on the plane early and I did sit in that absolute front bulkhead row. It was great. Oh, it nice. was great. 
Yeah, yeah. And then I ended up not wanting to write at all and just sat there and listened to death metal. It was a really short flight, though, so it was fine. It was the it was the uh, Las Vegas to Burbank uh, flight route, which, in my estimation, is the seediest flight route in the United States. Vegas to Burbank. Mm. Like, come on. That's basically like, it's like the Stripper Express. <laughs> Like you're going straight from the valley to Las Vegas, you know. Anyway, um, good times. And yeah, there was just, I don't know, mul- multiple people were drunk on that flight and had been drunk for a very, very long time heading up to that flight. They were playing like games in the Vegas concourse, and it was it, it was just rowdy. It was just rowdy. <laughs> anyway, uh, main topic. It's time for our main topic, my dude. And even though I am running this, I'm gonna have to kind of turn this over to you because. You did some cool shit that you wanted to, that you hinted at. So let's get to it, man. What what cool shit did you do? It's been a pretty wild uh, day for that. Well, you know, it was it was me going back to us talking about branding. So you got it going through my brain that the branding part of making comics is the or pretty much any kind of branding you're doing, it's the interaction with the fan base that you're trying to build. So I was like, you know what? I don't interact enough on social media. I don't post enough to interact. I'll post art on Instagram for the most... I'll post art on all of my social media, but that's kind of all I do. I'll just post and go. And I don't ask enough questions. I don't try to interact with people enough. I don't really read Twitter all that much. Um, I have been reading a little bit more, but it's more so... I'll check my notifications in my emails in the morning. You know, go, oh, hey, this is what's been... Here's some highlights for Twitter. And I'll find, like, my friends, and I'll be like, oh, my friend said this. Let me see what he's doing. And so that's kind of the route I've been taking with it. And I wanted to change it up because I was like, you know what? I should interact more. And, and you know, to your point, um, if you can only interact once a week, then always make sure you're interacting on that day once a week. And so I think Mondays, for me, is a perfect day to interact with the comics community or just the community in general, posting stuff on Twitter. So kind of looking at other people's tweets and responding and, and asking questions of my own. So today I was like, what's the hardest part about making comics? Just open-ended, put that up on Twitter. And I got a few responses right away and retweets and likes. And then it's basically snowballed. Um, it's been, I don't know how many hours it's been, but we're up to you know, 88 likes, um, 28 quote tweets, 11 retweets, um, and about 95 responses. Jesus. Yeah. So it's just still ticking up. It's still going. Um, so a lot of people are interacting and that's great. That's, that's what you want. You know, you want interaction from the comics community and I'm getting it and I love it. So, um, this has been a nice way to also uh, help us out. You know, we've been covering a lot of stuff for our main topic, And we're getting to the point where we're running out of things that we knowingly want to talk about. But when you hear from the community, you go, oh, yeah, we should have been talking about that. So it's kind of giving us ammunition for future episodes. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go off of some people's responses. We're going to read some responses and then we're just going to tackle them. You know, I'll, I'll read the question or the response, Keith will respond, and then I'll respond after that. Um, There's so many responses that I haven't gotten to everyone. I think I've only responded to about 20 people. And um, so I think it's going to be a couple of days before I finish responding to everyone because it's very time-consuming. And um, I got comics to draw. So 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll we'll go through the first first uh, few and just see where that takes us, and we'll just kind of do that in the next few episodes. You know, just see where yeah. it gets us and uh, keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it, number one, it may only be this episode. It may be multiple episodes. We don't know. Number two, I am fucking terrified. Because you sent me a text a couple hours ago, like, hey, you want a heads up on the questions? I was like, nah. <laughs> I, I like I like to speak extemporaneously, right? And then I drank, you know, oh, this is a good solid more than half of this beer. So, uh, yeah, last I checked, alcohol does, in fact, affect thinking off the dome. So <laughs> let's do it. Let's, dear editing Keith, go fuck yourself. Signed right. podcast guy Keith. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So the question is, what's the hardest part about making comics? So yeah. this is something. This is kind of related to something we talked about a few episodes back. What's the hardest thing to draw, and what's the hardest thing to write in comics? Um, it's it's slightly adjacent to that because this is more. This is encompassing the whole process. So mm-hmm. asking a general question to the comics community. Um, the first person, Sean at Seanatanen, uh, pleasing the fan base. That's something I don't know that we've ever talked about. Maybe no, we never <laughs> have. So that one was super interesting to me. Um, what do you think about that one? Huh? I mean, okay. I don't, I don't say this in a mean way, but I don't make comics to please the fan base. And it's not because I don't want fans to be excited. It's because I feel that the moment that I create comics to please someone else, I've lost the plot. So what I'm hoping, there's some degree of pleasing the fan base that's built into what I'm doing, right? Like if this is a, if it's Kadoja, then I'm looking to do cool giant monster trope inversions, right? Like that's what I'm looking to do or even lean into some tropes. I mean, it's a giant monster book. I'm not running from that. I'm not trying to outthink the giant monster genre, you know, for three protectors. It's going to be, you know, cool action, cool, weird plot and, and some nice, you know, uh, machinations, machinations there. And for the novel, it's the same thing. It's like, I want to work within the tropes, but also subvert the tropes a little bit. But one thing I don't like thinking of is 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 how this is going to play over because I just feel like that's a that's a chamber that you can get stuck in, you know. So I, I suppose there is some degree of baking in the fan dumb into what you're doing and into one and into trying to make like a cool piece of pop culture, but the fan base isn't is something I almost try to purposely not think about, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it also runs the risk of, you know, something something we talked about was like chasing trends. So if you're trying to please the fan base, that could be something. It's a slippery slope. You might fall right into that whole thing. Well, the fan base really likes this right now. So let me try to do my version of that. And by the time your book comes out, you know, that has come and gone. Um, My response to Sean was. Uh, that's a good one. It's something that's not thought about as part of the process, but it's definitely a factor. My instinct is to do the comic that I I want to read as a yeah. fan. And yeah. the hope is, if I like it, someone else out there will like it too. And then, you know, boom, you're you're good. You're not you're not trying to please people. 
but you're trying to please yourself. And I think yeah. that is the best way to create comics because then you're going to be happy with the product at the end of the day. If you're trying to please other people, you might be creating a comic that you're not even really interested in. And who wants mm-hmm. to do that? What Like they take so long to do. Like why waste your time trying to please other people when you can please yourself? And then in turn, please other people because yeah. you're doing something that you enjoy. And I think that translates when people read books. Yeah. And I mean, and that's kind of the assumption there that by pleasing yourself, you are going to please other people. So a lot of that is baked in, right? Like we're, we've all grown up a certain fan of a certain style. And when you make a book in a certain style and you're quote unquote, pleasing yourself, you know, the art, the argument there is you're going to please at least a thousand other people because, you know, you've baked all that stuff into, into what you're doing. Um, It is worth noting that this touches on something we, we mentioned, I think before, these anecdotes of creators that once their stuff gets really popular, um, those sort of fan base expectations can really weigh on you heavy and almost feel constricting, like a trap. So it is worth noting that, you know, Scott and I are both in the indie waters. We have nice followings, but uh, not the kind of fan base where I think we feel stifled by that. And something I've heard of a lot is authors where they've you know, reached some high amount of success or creators or musicians or any of that stuff. And those expectations start to really mess with them. And, uh, you know, I think we touched on that a little bit. And there's in, in a previous episode, there's ways people can deal with that. You know, bands like Nirvana can purposely try to alienate their fans and just make something that they feel is unlistenable, even though In Utero is hardly unlistenable. But that was their reaction. So, again, you can react a whole bunch of different ways. And um, I think it's a great question and something that's cool to think about. All right. The second one. And so what I try to do with the few that I've read so far, I try to lump together the ones that are kind of close in question so mm-hmm. that way it's like we kind of have a unified unified uh question for the the episode as a whole you know yeah. it's just like okay these are roughly around the same same topic um and that way it'll be uh kind of seamless in a way so the second one is from at jeff schiller a jeff schiller outside of the financial aspects i would say getting people to read the comics so, yeah, that's a huge one. Um, uh, most of my sales come from conventions and shows where I pitch people in person. So that's where I can get people to read my book. Um, it's hard to get book sales when you aren't at a store talking to customers. You know, like if you just have your books on on the shelf at com- random comic shops, you're not out. It's harder for people to give their hard-earned money to you Um, when trying stuff out it's just difficult people have a tendency to stick to what they know they're going to stick to the you know the big two the big three marvel dc image um and that's usually what gets the dollar of the back or of the of the customers you know of the comic reader they everyone kind of sticks to what they're used to and so i i totally get it jeff that's a a great one um getting people to read books yeah i mean the to me my version on that is, and again, because we're we're almost taking this these answers and turning them into questions for the sake of the podcast. So in my case, the answer to that tends to be the amount of work you're willing to do and your willingness to stick to this in the long run. Because 
getting people interested in your book is climbing a mountain. It is running a marathon. It's doing all those analogies. So all you can really do is just continue to, to get stuff out there and try to talk to people one one by one. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe you get a break and there's plenty of people out there that get breaks, no matter what those breaks are. And those are obviously going to help, but it's always work. And uh, it, it just tends to build on itself. And that's why it rewards longevity. You know, yeah, there are definitely people that get super popular overnight, but even then they were probably working hard for the kind of breaks that gave them that overnight popularity. So getting people to read your book, you know, we don't talk about this as much on the podcast. And when we do, they tend to be um, episodes that don't don't get all the listens that some of the other episodes do. You know, when we talk about things like promoting or, or working your own table or things like that, they tend to be uh, among the less popular. So we've learned to phase those out a little bit, but they are very, very important. Marketing yourself is super important. Promoting yourself is super important. What we talked about last week of branding, it's super important. It's not as fun and it's not as easy. It's definitely not as easy because if you set your goal that I'm going to I'm going to write, I'm going to, I'm going to write three pages today, or I'm going to draw five panels today or whatever it's going to be. You can make that goal. All you have to do is do it. You control all of it. If you make a goal that you're going to get five followers on Instagram or Twitter, you can't control that. And that's what makes it so hard, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it either. You know, it's, it's something that can be approached over time by building, by giving people cool stuff, and uh, by letting them, people know that, you know, you're a cool person that does cool things and has cool opinions to share, and, uh, and may even have a cool book or two out there, too. Okay, you know what? I'm actually going to read these next two, because they're all roughly in the same category. So, at uh, Jim Harris said, finding your audience. Um, and then, very similar to that, is at Batichi Kristen. I don't know if I'm saying that right, sorry. Uh, marketing, trying to cultivate interest, especially since the comic is free, so you've got to convince someone to give up an hour of their time to give it a shot. Okay, so my response to Kristen there was, uh, marketing cultivating interest is probably the toughest part for me as well. Uh, that's not something that I exactly like doing, and so I'm not I'm not actively doing it all the time, which, which I need to be and which we all really need to be doing. Um, my comics are usually around 22 pages, so they won't need an hour. But parting with hard-earned money on books that aren't mainstream is tough. So that kind of goes to the last question as well. You know, people's time... Um, so, like, if your book is insanely long, so apparently hers is an hour to read. So it must Sounds be, long. like, a crazy graphic novel or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's a tough sell. You know, to, your art has to be astounding. In, in my opinion, like if, if you're going to, well, I, just for me, let me just say that, like as an artist, art is uh, first and foremost for me. That's the thing I have to be interested in when I'm reading a book. So, you know, the, it just has to work for me and your sales pitch, like what is your sales pitch on your book? Why would someone take an hour out of their day to read, read your book? So you have to make sure you have that sales pitch down just to get people to stick around and then if it's a decent price point, hers apparently is free, must be a, I'm guessing it's a web web series. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if, if they're not paying for it, okay, you, hopefully the your pitch for the web series is good enough to where you can just drag them in there because, hey, it's not costing them anything but their time. So how much, it depends how much they value that time. It does. It does. But I guess my counter argument with that 
to that would be. And it's it's a shame these, you know, who knows if they listen to the podcast. That'd be cool if they did. But um, my counter to that would be, like, why are you demanding an hour of someone's time? Hook them in three minutes and then make them want the other 57. You were just saying before that most people do the Marvel DC image, Dark Horse, you know, whatever. They do the things they know. They do, they do the properties they know, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure it, it's not a far reach for people to understand that I am the kind of person, I read previews twice every month, cover to cover. I do my best to go for every single solicitation. Now, no one can ever read every single solicitation. You get your vibes, you get your companies you like, you get your things that just stick out because of a cover and you go from there. But like I actively look for comics to buy. And something I see a lot in the indie world is I'll read a solicitation for a cool story and it sounds cool. And then you get to what it is and it's like a long graphic novel and it's asking for 20 or more dollars of your money. Like, brother, I don't know the first thing about your comics, you know, like you never released it as single issues. And a lot of times, you know, if if you did release it as single issues, you should put that in the solicitation, collecting issues one through four of my series or whatever it's going to be. So I just think in general, it's a big ask to make people want to gorge on something that they know nothing about. So I feel like the, you know, there, there is a little bit of an answer there that perhaps there's a way for you to make your own content digestible in smaller pieces so that you're not asking for that hour of time. Now, we're taking one tweet out of context, and it's not very fair. Because for all I know, if this is a webcomic, then that means that, the, that anybody can hop on or off at any page, and that simply the sum of all the pages is an hour. And that's how it would work. But it doesn't change the fact that you, you need to hook them at any small sample you can do. You know, a friend of mine, and it's a very well-known thing that a ton of people do, but, you know, I, I first heard about it from them. They'd be in a bookstore and they'd do the page test. Pick up a book. Read any page. Is it good? Well, then you're in a good place. You know, and, and this is how people buy books. This is probably how people buy comics they don't know. Not just on the cover, but by picking it up. And thumbing through it for a few pages. So that means you need to have every page be great. And you need to have every page be worthy of people's attention. And also give people the ability to get sucked in without uh, committing to a whole lot of content. Yeah. And going back to the uh, Jim Harris question fi- or response, finding your audience. This is something that could take a long time. And I feel like this dovetails nicely from the previous question or, or response. Uh, this is something that take a long time, depending on your subject matter, skill level, and just trying to get someone to pick up your book and actually give it a chance. Hopefully people that do it stick around for the next issue. Totally. But I'll say this too. You can't really control that. You know, like I, I will, one of the things that it's not a pet peeve, it's not anything, but it's it's the kind of thing that when it happens at a convention inside, I'm just going like, oh, that kind of thing, right? It's when I see a person wearing a Godzilla t-shirt, look at my booth and then walk right by. And it's like, this is made for you, buddy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and I'm not the kind of person that's going to be like, holla, 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 holla. Hey, Godzilla t-shirt. Hey, Godzilla t-shirt. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. I want, I want you to find it out and organically arrive at it. And then if you're at my booth for a few seconds and you show interest, yes, I will talk to you. But I'm not going to shout people down. Um, but that's, I say that, because 
you can have people that are predisposed to like your stuff and they're still gonna walk right by it and not get it you know like again that's why something the a theme maybe for the last few minutes is this idea of the long game you got to understand that you know you got to be in it for a long time and then all those breaks will start to to kick in your favor yep absolutely um yeah the hope is when you do finally lock someone if you do get that godzilla fan that sees your booth and they do stop and they turn around they pick up that first volume that they do come back for more you know and that's yeah that's working shows is how you cultivate that fan base. You know, um, it, the hope is you can do it online as well. It's not as easy. There's so much stuff online. Um, but when you see people in person, you, you can convey your passions when you're speaking about your project. And a lot of times that'll sell the book in itself, you know, like I feel if you picked up my book and you flipped through it, it's a good look. You know, you're going to be, uh, hopefully the way I draw is the style of art that you like. And so that'll keep you there. And then I give you the pitch and you go, you know what? The pitch combined with the art and how much this guy cares about it uh, will equal me picking this book up. That's that's the hope. And then hopefully they do enjoy it. And then they stick around for the next one, the next one after that. So um, you never know. It's, it's just yeah. the matter of putting the time in when you do these shows or your presence online you know, doing these, uh, you know, if you're doing a web series, get on the proper channels for those, you know, the proper websites that distribute those web books. And uh, you have to be crazy at self-promotion if that's how you're going to do it. Yeah. One one final note here. I've bought many books based on someone's pitch and based on whether I like them. So if I like someone and I like the pitch, I'll probably buy the book. Now, Scott and I are definitely hardcore, we know what it means to like support indie comics. So for me, I have a budget just set aside for other indie books at every show I go to. And I'm just going to, at some point I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to buy a bunch of creators books because I want to, I want to be part of that community. Um, but I say that because there are also, that means there's plenty of books in my collection. I didn't even read. Fuck it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like you, you, you do it to support me. And, and this is going to happen. There are people that buy your books because they like you or they want to support you or they like the thing you're about and it makes them feel good to like support a creator and let that creator kind of continue to pursue their dream. So the the pitch matters. How you handle yourself matters and how you carry yourself matters. Um, and it can all pay off in a sale. And if that person reads the book after that, well, that's on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, uh, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten was actually from Steve Whistler Jr. was... He he started picking up my books because he was my friend, uh, mine and Ed's. So he, you know, we know him from wrestling days. He used to be a referee, and he said, "Yeah, the first issue I bought just because I was your friend. I bought the second one because I liked the book." Mm -hmm. And so he still he backs all my projects to this day, and um, he loves the book. and And he was in one of the issues. He backed the uh, guest appearance role, uh, so he's in issue ten. So. You know, yeah. hey, look for Steve. He's in the he's in the last three pages there. You'll you'll see him. Uh, he's named dude. in everything. That dude, Stat Boy Steve. All right. Uh, okay, a couple more. These are less of that that area. It's going to something else. Oh, um, I guess it's I guess it's technically in that area is distribution. Mm. So that that's a big one. The inf okay. So as we've discussed on here, the infrastructure of how to distribute your books through the proper channels like Diamond or the other, you know, whatever Marvel DC use these days. It's insane. You know, having to 
Having to lose 60% of your cover price just to get it distributed through Diamond, that's a losing proposition if you're an independent creator. Because, okay, you're, to print the book is going to be at least $2, at least, like if, if you're doing color, right? So yes. then you're going to want to do at least 5 bucks for cover price. So that gets you to what? Basically what you print in for the book, so you're not making any money. To the point where you're probably paying realistically two fifty for your book. So at that point, you're losing fifty cents for every issue that you sell to Diamond. Yes, and that's that, brutal. I mean, all of that is correct. The distribution game is skewed heavily towards the big boys because the big boys print the kind of copies that can give them a great price per issue because of their larger print runs, and they can still make. A couple cents, maybe more than a couple cents on every single copy they sell. And much like the way a grocery store works, you know, groceries, the margins of a grocery store are low. They go for volume, you know, and um, that's that's what the big publishers go for. So, I mean, if you're signing up to be distributed through Diamond and there's really nobody else, I know there's that second distribution uh, group, but there always seems to be a second distribution group and Diamond continues to stand. You know, if you're signing up for that distribution group, understand everything Scott just said. There are still plenty of reasons to be distributed through Diamond. Awareness, visibility, the fact that you are going to sell some really nice quantities of copies with your books and the cachet, you know, in my case, right, I get to, you know, I just did this actually. I was in Houston and I walked in a bookstore a comic book store. And I thought my buddy was actually giving a soft sales pitch. He said, uh, Hey, you got any copies of Kadoja I can buy? And, uh, and the guy was like, sorry, what's Kadoja? And then my buddy told me later, he was like, that was no, it was no like one, two game. It was, I wanted to buy your book in a store, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but cool. then I jumped right in and I said, yeah, so Kadoja's distributed through Invader. You know, Invader is this and Invader is that. And then I got to tell him about our books and he seemed pretty interested and the best part is I got to walk right to his counter and pick up the newest copy of previews and turn to the invader section and point to freaks and gods and say, we do this book. That's where that cachet helps. You know, like there is a hierarchy there with a random old comic store that you're walking through where you can be like, no, we're in diamond. We're in previews. You can, you can order our stuff, you know? And, uh, and again, the hope is over time, like we talked about before with persistence, that all that all uh, culminates in, in improvement and, uh, and increased visibility and increased sales. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something at some point I would love to get into, but just doing all of the production, the printing myself, um, not having a company like Invader or you know Scout or anything like that behind it, it's just something I can't do. It's just financially, I am not there to where I'm willing to lose money for every book that I ship out. I just, yeah. I just can't do it. Um, you know, since since I'm a one man entity, essentially, you know, the accidental aliens were an art group that prints our books under a label. But it doesn't mean that the the accidental alien studio is paying for the printing of my books. You know, yeah. like it's it's strictly crowdfunding that I do to get these books printed. And, um, you know, financially, I'll I'll pay for some extra copies if I need to print more books. But usually the Kickstarters provide for all of that. You know, it's just it's that really helps with the financial aspect of creating comics for me. It allows me to continue to do this. And then through my commissions, the sales at shows, uh, all of the fundraising, 
it's all feeding itself and there's extra cash there and it's fantastic. So um, right now it's a kind of a situation of if it ain't broken, don't fix it. So, but hopefully I get to the point where I can attract a partner that's willing to pick up the book and then there I would be able to get into Diamond. But 100% agree with Keith, you have that cachet when you're into, you know, Diamond's catalog. Like that's, it's an awesome thing. Like as a young fan, I knew what Diamond was. Like I, yeah. you know, you read Wizard and you get it all figured out. You're like, oh, what's, what is this? Oh, and they spell it all out in there for you. And you kind of get this first taste of inside baseball, you know, but for comics, yeah. inside comics. And you're like, yeah. whoa, you start learning about the process and it's, um, you know, yeah, there's cachet there for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, of course, the downside of that is, you know, one of my, oh, top 30 adages in the world, not one of my top 10 or anything is I, I hate being afraid of success. And that's sort of the problem where we are in the waters, because to use Scott's example, right? So let's say he's losing 50 cents a copy and he goes through Diamond. And let's say something wonderful happens. Diamond orders a thousand copies. It's a really nice number, right? Hey, you just lost 500 bucks. <laughs> right? Like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, and by the way, you didn't just lose 500 bucks. You lost 1,000 copies times $2.50. So you lost 2,500 that you're putting up now. And then you're going to get those books made. You're going to ship them to Diamond. And then you're going to get paid 120 days later. Mm -hmm. So then you get most of your money back. So, I mean, that's a hard road to hoe, brother. You got to be in it and you got to try to do price points and all that stuff. So, I mean, you know, it, it definitely, you can see the logic both ways. And, uh, and unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever you want to say, that's the distribution out there. You know, the, the uh, road to hell is littered with second, you know, people that always wanted to be that number two distributor. And there always <laughs> seems to be somebody who's rumored to be this next big distributor. And it just never happens, man. Distribution's hard. And I, I happen to think, for those listening out there, that there is a place where a distributor could in fact exist. And I think that distributor could be an indie distributor with a finely curated portfolio where they basically became a tastemaker and they said, here's your 15 coolest books among all publishers. You could order them through me, right? Like, But I think like that's almost the only model that can work in addition to Diamond. Because as evidenced by the fact that Marvel and DC and Image and all these big boys change distributors a lot, guess what that means? It means they're not that thrilled with Diamond either. Otherwise, why would they change? Even the big boys have this thing of like, maybe there's a better way to distribute out there, but uh, but nobody can find one and, and Diamond keeps swimming. Uh, okay, so I think this is, I think we can fit one more in. Yeah. Uh, all right. It Counting is... down to bring in the bullshit. <laughs> At Chibi Selena... Staying motivated. That self-doubt is no joke. Even when all is good, it can still be tough. It's a fantastic career to have, but you still have to put a lot of time and dedication. And some days you just don't got it. Um, I totally agree with that. There are days where you just don't have it. No matter how hard you try, you, you just can't get it done that day. Um, luckily, I, I'll use the Slack method and work on something different. Or I'll have days like today where there just was no time, you know, as of, as of yet. But... Uh, staying motivated is huge. It's a huge issue a lot of people face. As a creator, speaking from the artist perspective, thinking 
you're good enough to do this comes uh, to mind all the time. Constantly comparing yourself to other artists can be tricky. It can be motivating and dehabilitating at the same time. You don't want to be stuck thinking you're the best thing since sliced bread, and you also don't want to be so crippled by fear you don't put anything out. Look at artists you see have real skill and learn as much as possible. That's the only way to improve. Yeah, okay, so my, my answer to this is this. This is why you're doing something you love. I mean, that's, that's the first, that's one of the first things people always say when it comes to any kind of creating, creative thing, when it comes to starting up your own business, when it comes to careers, when it comes to all these things, pick things you love because on the hard days, on the days where you just can't see a way out, that love is what's going to carry you. Like, no doubt, your love for just creating, your love for the form, your love for your business, your love for whatever that thing is. Since we're talking about comics, it's like your love for the project you're working on. Because there are going to be days. There's going to be days where a lot of bad shit happens and you're just going to be like, you know what, man? I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to I'm gonna get back to it. You know, to, to paraphrase the Matrix, you're going to eat that cookie and then you're going to be right as rain. And and that's that's how it works when you have the love. And then when you look down you'll see that there's only one set of footprints because it's love that carried you along the way. I was so <laughs> dancing around that as I was saying this. Footprints have a place in any conversation, so that's okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is it is challenging, man. And there are days, look, we just had a podcast four or five weeks ago, whenever it was, about the rough days. So I, I had a few myself, and that's what prompted that. The love's always going to carry you through there. And uh motivating yourself can be hard and writer's block happens and all this stuff happens and you're going to find a way to push through it. And sometimes the way is take a day off. Don't think about it for, for a little yep. while. Go under the tree at Beck's prime. That works too. Yeah. Have that apple hit you in the head and then just, yeah. you know, boom, inspiration. Have Sir Isaac Newton's corpse just show up and chuck apples at your head and then you're good to go. <laughs> Fucking zombie. <laughs> 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 all right cool well i think that'll do it for this episode as far as the uh the uh question and answer section yeah man i think what yeah what we'll do is uh maybe over over the next episode or two maybe curate it a little bit and you'll have time to go through the feed again this was such a nice happy bolt of lightning that sort of hit your um your twitter today but uh oh you know between now and the next week maybe you can find the the nicest few questions and uh, we can do at least around two of this and maybe around three if it dictates yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely have to go through and uh, just try to I try to match together everything that was roughly around the same thing. But I, I think it'll be cool to respond to ones that are completely different from each other as well. Yeah. Um, that'll give us more variety and, you know, to talk about and more of a variety for you guys to listen to. Totally, totally. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. So it's time to bring the bullshit, my man. <laughs> do you want to start? Do you want to start with your your record setting comic binge that you're going on these days? Oh dude, I I am out of control. Like <laughs> once I thought I had kicked the habit, I got into rehab, I thought I was clean, <laughs> I had my chip. Um you're yeah, fucking... I started itching and <laughs> um, before I knew it my my chip was gone and uh, eBay had sold me a bunch of dope. <laughs> a bunch of dope <laughs> comics, I should say. <laughs> It is it is enjoyable. It was enjoyable this last couple of days to be your your friend who you were texting. Cuz I would just be somewhere and then you'd be like, "Dude, 
is there an amazing Spider-Man 700 in, in the shop you're in right now? <laughs> and I was like, wait, where the fuck did that come from? And then, so I was actually in a shop 15 minutes later and I asked the shop owner, I'm like, do you happen to have any amazing Spider-Man 700s? And I don't know the first fucking thing about amazing Spider-Man 700. So he's like, well, the current issue is the equivalent of number 894. So we're talking about something that's probably like 16 years old. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like <laughs> Scott's sending <laughs> me on something that's 16 years old. How the hell is that happening? So anyway, uh, yeah. And and that's just one of the texts that, that showed up. So go ahead. Please continue. Yeah. So that's that was one of the books I was tracking down. So I mentioned previously on another episode that Daredevil 21, I think it's volume four. Um, it is the first appearance of Superior Spider-Man. So, come to find out, that is considered the first cameo appearance of of Superior Spider-Man. So I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck is the first appearance of Superior Spider-Man then? I googled it, hoping to find a very clear answer, because I, I just typed in on eBay, first appearance Superior Spider-Man, seeing what would come up. Just so many different books showed up. I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I googled it. And apparently, Marvel did not plan this well, because the same week that that Daredevil 21 came out, another book came out. It was like Avenging Spider-Man or some shit like that. And so those concurrently came out, both with appearances of Superior Spider-Man. And then the first full appearance, I think there was three other comics that came out with him at the same exact time. So there's not a consensus as to what his first appearance is. And 700 is the one that people seem to point to the most because it is the quote-unquote death of Peter Parker. Um, and then Otto Octavius takes over from there. So I guess that's the first appearance. So that's something I've tracked down. I've gotten two off of eBay. And now I'm just tracking down those other issues. I just want to make sure I'm covering my bases just in case my theory that Superior Spider-Man is going to show up in one of these Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man cartoons, and then that first appearance takes off like wildfire. So I want to make sure I get those before things get too crazy. And so by the time this episode airs, I will have two copies of everything, because that's just who I am. And um, I already have four copies of Daredevil 21, which seems excessive now that there isn't a clear-cut you know, knowledge of which one is the first appearance because apparently both of those issues came out at the same time. But I did see on a CGC slab that that is labeled as first appearance cameo. So worst case, worst case scenario, it's the first appearance cameo, which is fine, but you definitely want to get the first full appearance because that is the one that is always higher in price when shit takes off. I don't know, man. Is it? It is. Like Fantastic Four 48, I think, might be more than 49, right? 49 is the one I have. Hold on. Now I got to look. I guess it depends on the cameo itself. Is the character in shadow? Do you see yeah. the full character? Like, what What would you consider a full a first full appearance? So, for me, what it's, to me, just based off of the wording, is that character appears and is throughout the entire issue. Mm -hmm. A cameo... A cameo, what I thought was... Larry Blackman. There Was that? Larry Blackman. Ow. Wired up. The lead singer of cameo. <laughs> um, my thought was the character was in shadow, essentially, in, their, in that first appearance. So you couldn't really tell 
you know, it was the character that obviously appears in the next issue, but you couldn't see them that well in that issue. That's what I thought. Um, I know the first appearance of Apocalypse, the first full appearance of Apocalypse, is worth way more than the first cameo appearance, which is the issue of X-Factor right before it. So I always found that to be weird. I'm like, the cameo still counts as their first appearance, in my in yeah. my view. So I always found that to be weird. But if the comics community as a whole views the first full appearance to be more worthy, then I guess that's what it is. And that's the thing, too. It's market. The market is who's determining this. You know, like, right. Fantastic 48's a little fucked up because the goddamn cover is a bunch of people like pointing up at some shit in the sky and it says the coming of Galactus, you know? And then you don't see freaking Galactus until the final panel. And then it's like, here I am, bitches, you know? And it's like, no wonder that's worth a lot of money, you know? Oh, uh, shit, it's the coming of Galactus. It's raining white. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, so yeah, you are, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're deep in it, man. I'm, I'm yeah. impressed. I'm, I'm impressed. back in. I'm trying to pull the needle out, but I think I'm going to be here for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look, I look forward to the updates. Um, Detox so- will not go well the first time around. It won't work. So <laughs> I'm going to have to try to, to put you into again. rehab and you said no, 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 no. no. Yeah, okay, so for me, I'm going to double back to Houston a little bit for my first part of bringing the bullshit, which is, again, my buddy Mark, Mark Gaskins. Mark, if you're listening, shouts, um, who I stayed with, he had actually said he had like this ton of comics. And uh, I'm going to give the story too, because they're, they're a little, the comics were a little disjointed. He didn't have complete runs. And that's because his mom would always stop at the drugstore and just grab whatever was on the rack. You know, this was right around the birth of the, of the direct market, maybe before. And so he just had a bunch of comics and he basically said, hey, I'm, I'm planning on like, giving these away or giving them to a kid down the street, go through whatever you want. So I ended up just going through and cramming whatever I could in my suitcase. I counted. It was like a hundred books, something like that. And, uh, and just all kinds of cool shit, like old, I mean, not, not super old, but like old ish, you know, eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Like Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man. Let's just go with like from a range of like 179 to 220, you know, that kind of thing, just to date it a little bit. And, uh, and there were some cool comics in there. There were some early runs of Moon Knight, some early runs of She-Hulk, I think, and some other cool stuff. And uh, I got actually have two stacks behind me here on the um, on the carpet. And I'm looking forward to bagging and boarding here. I, I can actually you want me to show you real quick? I'll show yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Because it's, it's yeah, good. interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would love, yeah. Pick up that stack, come back over to this speaker. I'd love to hear, I'd love you to rattle off some of the stuff that you got. Um, so Moon Knight came out. I think that is, I think that just like, I think that came out in the eighties, I think 1980 or something. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Now these, he, he, he let me know, like the condition's not great on these, you know, on a, on a number scale, on the, on a number scale, these things are probably, I don't know, 3.0 to 6.0 if you're lucky. You know, that kind of thing. But the point is, they're cool books. And, you know, like Mark even said when he was like when I was going through him, he's like, it makes me happy to see your face light up as you're looking through these comics. Like, they're cool to you. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, yeah, they're cool to me, you know. So I'll give you this example. Right. Um, So, of course, uh, (laughs) because I, I had a little time yesterday, they are all alphabetized and in order because that's who I am. And also, I was like looking at them yesterday and my wife's just like doing work next to me in my studio and I just keep on staring at the books and I'm like, 
I just need to fucking bag and board these. I don't have enough fucking <laughs> bags and boards. It's driving me crazy. It's just fucking driving me crazy. Oh, I hate it. I ordered them on Amazon because I just couldn't wait to go to the comic shop on Tuesday. You know, like the comics, my comic shop's closed Monday. I didn't want any part of it. So the damn things are getting delivered soon and I'll just grab them. But um, but here's a good example, right? Like this this is one of the books. It's uh, Spider-Man 255. It looks fine. Yeah, it looks it's, pretty good. It, it's got like a, you know, it's got like the whole bent spine. I mean, there's yeah, definitely it's got like, spine ticks. If I get it close, you can see like some creases in the cover and things like that. So again, between a 3.0 and a 5.0 probably. But what I told my wife is, you take a similar book like this, like Spidey 171, right? Look how much better that fucking thing looks with a bag and board. You know, mm-hmm. like it just immediately makes it look better and cleaner and prettier and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean... Just peeling them off here, Spider-Man 171, 178, 196, 197, 198, 201, 203. And I mean, you know, obviously um, this is an influence of me picking through the books. You know, he he basically like I didn't even take home probably a quarter of the books he had. Oh, wow. Um, and then we agreed, you know, he was like, well, there's a kid down the street I was going to give some books to. And I'm like, give him a bunch. Make that kid happy. You know, like I wouldn't, I don't know. I'm, I've never been the kind of person where it's like, well, I'll take them all. You know, like, mm. let me, let me take some stuff for me to enjoy, pay it forward, give the books to some, give the book to, give the books to a kid, give them to multiple kids, donate them. Let, let someone sift through them at Salvation Army, Army and have the day of their life sifting through the day that those things came out. Like part of that's fun. You want to kind of give back to the universe too. You know, so anyway, um, but yeah, it was it was great. And again, there's there's all kinds of more. Again, this is just one of the stacks. If you can see it here, oh yeah. Uh, and then I got another stack there. Here I'll do. I'll pull one more. Fantastic Four two sixty right there. Nice. So yeah, man, just just fun stuff. And again, I obviously cherry picked Spider Man, Fantastic Four. You know, the Moon Knights, the a lot of Marvel books. Um, where like there was stuff like Captain America and action comics and Superman that's not really my jam, and so uh, yeah, that that can get give he can give that back to the world and give that to some people that may it may just birth a collector habit in them, or uh, or he can give it to a library or do something and just give people some cool stuff to read. I'm, I was you know I'm excited to I'm excited that he was willing to let me take some, and uh, it was by far the best comic experience in Houston. Because <laughs> I went cool. to a couple more stores and they didn't rival the selection that was here. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, you know, it, that reminds me, my buddy Ramel, when he was uh, going through his stuff, he's like, hey, I got this long box of comics if you want. He's like, it's all from the 90s. You know, we're the same age. So when I was collecting uh, early on, so was he. So the new the new uh, Into the Spider-Verse trailer drops and huh. Spider-Man 2099. Uh, is there? Yep. And so that book instantly job jumps from like a dollar book to 20, 20, yeah. 25 and up, right? Yep. So I'm like, oh shit, let me go through his long box and see if he has it there because he had every '90s comic you could think of, and um, you know, lots of Image, but there was Marvel and DC as well. Randomly, uh, some some indie books too. I was like, wow, he's got indie books. That's so weird. But um, I'm actually, if you knew him, it makes a lot of sense that he would have indie, indie books. He's an indie guy and, and like his musical tastes and all of that. So, um, but anyway, after going through the book or through the box, I was like, fuck, I think he might have held on to some of the prime stuff or like potentially brought it to a comic shop and uh, uh, they, oh. cher- they cherry picked it because yeah. there was no Spider-Man 2099. 
there was uh there Ravage twenty ninety nine. I think there was Punisher twenty ninety nine. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Basically, the 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 other twenty ninety nines were pretty bad. I actually bought up some Doom twenty ninety nines. I saw them in like a dollar bin, and I then I read the first two, and I was like, oof. <laughs> yeah. So. um Unfortunately, it wasn't there. I was trying to look for some other stuff, too. There was a Venom Lethal Protector number one, however. So the comic shop must have missed that one. Because that one Yeah, take that, bitch. Suck it. <laughs> I actually need to go back through it and see if he has any um, Youngblood 2 in there. Because that is the first appearance of Prophet, who oh, okay. is rumored... Oh, well, Jake Gyllenhaal is attached to Prophet uh, for a movie. So, okay. yeah, those are going up in price. And then... Um, they just did a re-release of issue one of the prof of profit with like new variant covers and all of that. So, but I have those, I have the original books, no need to get those. It is and, pretty crazy though. You know, like you get into this, like, you know, this is rumored for that. And that's rumored for that. It's like, you know, an executive was rumored to get a ding dong at the seven 11 near this creator's house. <laughs> Therefore, boy, did he get it? He got it in the bathroom <laughs> stall. <laughs> Wait, Thank what you. are we talking about? Ding dongs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, executives be executives. That's right. We, we be executed. Um, yeah. Oh, shit. What was I going to say? Fuck, I had something else. I should have said cupcake. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so it's crazy how just the eras come back around and the 90s books are now taking off in price. So it was just like I have most of my collection is the 90s. That's, that's the prime collecting years of my life. And... I'm just, I have so many extra copies of all of these books. And I'm like, why the fuck did I buy an extra copy of Wildcats 8? Like, why? Why is yeah. it? I love Jim Lee, but why do I have two copies of random issue numbers? It was like, there was nothing going on in that issue. Why did I buy two of them? You know, and I was just addicted to this, this, uh, you know, the promise of being able to make money off of these at a later date. You know, well, like, well, this is the beginning part of the series. And in like 20 years, you who knows what it's going to be worth? Well, I can tell you it's worth a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. except yeah, for um, I was in SoCal Comics the other day and I was looking around on the left side of the building, which uh, if you've been in there, you know, that's where the older comics are, yeah, uh, the baby. comics with value. They're on usually on the left side. There are some on the right side, obviously, under glass. Uh, but if you want to thumb through some back issues, um, you can find them there on the left side. So on the wall, I saw Spawn number one, and I think it was Youngblood number one, and they were like 40 bucks a piece. I was like, what the fuck? These are worth something? Which is so crazy to me. And like, I have all these extra copies of these Image Comics, but I'll tell you what, I think I only bought one copy of number one. Of, of spawn and young like what the fuck's wrong with you why'd you only buy one copy of number one like yeah. it doesn't the logic doesn't make sense it's like come on man like what are you thinking <laughs> yeah yeah well first okay a couple thoughts there one uh that's sucker price right there you know like somebody somebody might be like oh spawn one i remember spawn one and then they play pay 40 bucks for it yeah um, thing number two is this this is why speculating on comics can be dangerous right and i'm going to illustrate my point just to scott because the beer is finished and i've been drinking um i'm going to illustrate it with my like uh fucking what is this uh, uh t-rex toki toki doki t-rex with a sneaker for a head and my super seven king diamond and slayer mascot figures right and so it's kind of like you know, you can have some popular thing like Spawn, right? It's like, oh shit, Spawn's popular, 
this is the Toki Doki guy. And everybody's like, oh, 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 spawn, 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 spawn. And then they all buy spawn. And then they're kind of like, oh, wait. Youngblood's popular. Youngblood, youngblood. And then it starts, right? But but the thing is, all you have to do is simply identify something that's not popular. You know, it can be like, oh, hey, Arion Lord of Atlantis isn't popular. That's a prime candidate for someone to make a series. It's like, oh, Arion, Arion, Arion. You know, like, like that's just sort of how it goes, right? Like, like that's that's the danger. Of, thank you, by the way. That was that was masterpiece theater by me with Super Seven action figures. Only I got to see, and it which was makes great. me happy. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me happy because you know it allowed me to f- pretend that my Super Seven figures had a purpose. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, they were they were made for that demonstration. But like that's sort of the problem. You always either have a hot book to chase or a slept on book that nobody is chasing at all. And then you can say like, oh my God, yeah, that run of Firestorm from 28 through 75. You know, like, let's all buy that Firestorm. And and all it takes is like three people to really get on something. And then before you know it, everybody's on something. It can, it can just be such a slippery slope sometimes, you know, and that's what's tricky about it. And by the way, if anyone likes an Iron Fist number one, I have, I have some. <laughs> You have multiple copies. <laughs> oh, and I was going to say what I was going to say one other thing too. I hope that I keep a record of this podcast because in the future, I think I I expect that I'll look through my bins and I'll say like, wow, why did I get? Why do I have two copies each of Brian Bendis's Daredevil forty six through fifty? And the answer is because I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> and here's why: because I forgot to cross it off my want list, and then I found it in another store and I bought it. Oh, so, yeah, I almost did that same thing. Dude! I, I saw Firepower, like, I think I had 15 and 16 on my, my want list. I'm all, wait, did I get these? So I I just didn't act on it. I was like, you know what? No, let, let me go home and check. And thankfully I did because I did pick them up. So sometimes you really have to double check your list to make sure you're, yeah. you're taking care of it, keeping it clean. Fuck. It seems like that happens so much. And, you know, there there's a saying in, in the record collector uh, it you know like a record collector adage, which is you know you're a real collector when you buy something that you bought already, because hmm. basically the idea is your collection is so big that you just can't keep tabs on the fucking thing, and uh, and yeah, so I think comic collecting does have some degree of that where like you're a real collector if you just rebuy shit because you forgot you even had it in the first place. I did because your collection's getting out of control. I did the same thing with the last issue in, of Invincible. Um. I, so when I was on my hunt to buy all of the issues of Invincible, which I did, I was like, okay, the last issue is insanely expensive. Um, like, like the like in comparison to the books that were around it, like it's like oh the you know the third to last issue is is five bucks or six bucks yeah. something like that, and then last issue was fifty dollars. Yeah, and I was totally. like, oh shit! I ended up getting a copy of it in a lot that I bought. And then when I got that lot, I filed them away. And then when I started moving, because um, you know, when I moved in with my girlfriend, I started packing all my boxes. So I was going through all of my back issues of my image comics section. And I got to the eyes and boom, there was two copies of the last issue of Invincible. Apparently... I had bought them when I saw them on the rack going, hey, those might be worth something, you know, later on. Like, they're the last issue, so maybe it'll be worth something. They were. I got two copies. I got one of each cover, 
And I already had the book. I didn't even realize I had them because I bought them so long ago. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, my dog's excited. I think the kids just came home, so the, the dog's making her usual cameo on the podcast. And I think that's actually, that's our cue. That's our cue. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram. Instagram is my social media of choice. Um, and Keith underscore Invader is my Instagram that I use the most. But you can also find me at Kadoja Kaiju. Keith underscore Invader, I update, do posts maybe five, six times a week where Kadoja Kaiju's once. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, hey, you can see what I post on Monday, what questions I ask, what I'm talking about on Monday. So, yeah, go pop in over there on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And then you can find me at Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. Boy, Monday's like a magical day. You do, you're going to do your post on Twitter. And, of course, we have new episodes of Making Comics. What's, what's not to like about Mondays? They might Making- be the best day. Making Comics Mondays. Yeah, Making Comics Mondays. Hashtag. So, websites, you can find me at KeithRFoster.com. There's all kinds of good stuff there. In fact, I need to update a few of my links. If you want to dig in for a, um, a little bit of an aged article, look on iHorror. There's an article called April is going to be a bloody good month for comics. And I talk about some cool books that have probably come out by now. But you can still get a lot of them. And there's some really cool stuff coming out, including the conclusion to Refrigerator Full of Heads and the Torso graphic novel, a reissue, one of my favorite stories by early era Brian Michael Bendis coming out on Dark Horse. Torso is fantastic, and uh, I highly recommend it. And you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders from Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, thousand years in the future we start colonizing other planets and we come across the planet Melisanda where the meteor never hit and the dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved so it's about two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet Keith does that work it never fucking works man never works so uh go buy those books and of you can all see the times how, in recorded history how they don't is never worked yeah not a single time not a every single time, time we've recorded us going to other planets every it's single never time. worked Exactly. And every time we've recorded us going to other planets, the Lakers have finished with the number 11 seed in the West. What a terrible, <laughs> terrible season. What Frank a, what Vogel a, got what fired a, what today. What a dumpster fire. Yeah, what a dumpster yeah. fire of a season. I, it sucks that he got blamed for this season because, one, there was a lot of shit that was his fault. I hated his rotations. But two, he's a good coach. Like overall, yeah. he's a good coach. He's a great defensive uh, yeah. coach. But unfortunately, everyone on our, on our roster is seventy-five years old, yeah, and hurt all the time. So yeah. there is no consistency. There is no uh, fresh legs because they're all old legs, and yeah. uh, we sucked. So yeah, he he was definitely the fall guy, and that's a shame because I like Vogel as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. But speaking of that, hey, we love five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and. If you have a few extra minutes, go throw us five stars, not only on Spotify, where you can do that, but also on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Remember, the algorithms work for us, and you can help them work for you by spreading the word on how much you like making comics. And we would really appreciate it if you did that. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Let us know uh, what you like about the show, what you don't like. Uh, topics that you might want to hear if you like this episode and hearing people's uh, opinions on what the hardest thing about making comics is let us know there 
makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us on any of those other social medias that we had mentioned previously. We'll yeah. gladly respond to you there, and uh, we'll read your question on the air. Yeah, because... <laughs> like straight up making pom- making comics podcast at gmail.com is probably like the seventh most used way for people to get in contact with us for topics on the episode <laughs> but <laughs> please use it we would like you to use it but there man there are so many other ways to uh to catch up with us and uh man i think that's it i think we made it we did it so we did it world's yeah. best cup of coffee world's best cup of coffee so until then man i will see you next week and uh yeah that's all i got yeah yeah